0: Welcome to the official screenwriting podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week, I'm not exactly sure what I want to talk about because I have a long, long list of subjects and movies, and I'll see what I get to. If I don't get to something, I'll try to uh, not make the perfect, the enemy of the good, and I will maybe get to the subjects later on. First up, I saw a movie that really was... Interesting to me for how incredibly effective some of the breakdown work was, but then also how completely ineffective the film was. And it's called They Came Together. This is a film that stars Amy Poehler, who you remember from Saturday Night Live, Parks and Recreation, as well as Paul Rudd. And it is a deconstruction of the romantic comedy. It's a spoof on romantic comedies. And, you know, romantic comedies have basically gone away. You know, there's a reason that actresses like, say, Kate Hudson and Reese Witherspoon, who really did a lot of romantic comedies as sort of their bread and butter, um, they've had difficulty transitioning to a post-romantic comedy cinematic landscape. It doesn't mean that romantic comedies aren't being produced, but they're not being produced by the major Hollywood studios. How do we know that? We know this because if you look At uh, the top 100 films of last year, there was not a single romantic comedy in it. I mean, that is absolutely shocking. And that's the kind of research that you're going to want to do if you're going to be writing a screenplay. Now, They Came Together is from the writer and director of one of the funniest movies ever called Wet Hot American Summer. And, you know, the thing about Wet Hot American Summer is it's very very, uh, episodic. And it doesn't really have much of sort of a through line narrative. And when you look at some of David Wayne's studio work, it does have that. He has made studio films, including role models, including I Love You Man, which was a really cool movie. So you have a director who's done it before. He's delivered a movie experience. Um, And yet, for whatever reason, they just didn't want to do it for this movie they came together. Now, the thing is that the film is a romantic comedy deconstruction. The problem is that what they basically did was they went and they watched a ton of romantic comedies, and then... They said, let's sort of tick off all of the conventions that we can find in romantic comedies and make fun of it in some way, or call out the conventions in some way, call out the things that we've seen over and over and over, and maybe make a joke about it. Uh, The problem is that at the core, though, this film is not a romantic comedy. And this is the kind of thing that I really want to impress upon writers. It's knowing your genre and making your film function inside of the genre that you're doing you know the thing that i pointed out on twitter is that even adam sandler movies they're incredibly what i would consider creaky it's they are just hitting beat for beat every moment they're very predictable and yet they still function Properly, they still hit the moments, even when it feels completely false, because there's not really the proper buildup to the moment sometimes, um, or it's done in, in a way that sort of can be, you know, seen from space. It's not really effectively done but at least he's going through the motions and you know that is job one for a screenwriter that's what they came together doesn't do and i really suggest you take a look at this film even if you only have 5 minutes um movie's not going to be for everybody the humor's not for everybody you will find a lot of really funny stuff in it cuz these are some a-list talents bringing some a-list game to the to the table but what it's missing is a functional romantic comedy. And in a romantic comedy, you have characters that are competing against each other, or they don't like each other, but have this incredible physical attraction. And, you know, in the case of They Came Together, how I would classify this is they do a You've Got male scenario, which is that Amy Poehler runs a small candy store, that's sort of too adorable for words and doesn't seem to have any way to support itself. And Paul Rudd works for a big, bad candy manufacturing company that's going to try to put Amy Poehler's store out of business. This is the setup of You've Got Mail, except instead of books, it's candy. The problem is that the movie never quite invests in following that storyline. It never goes through the motions. It's never about... What Paul Rudd tries to do to put her out of business, what Amy Poehler does in order to stick it to the man or in order to try to survive, none of that occurs. It's all just joke after joke. And what are you left with at the end of the day? You're left with an 83-minute movie that Lionsgate didn't want to put in theaters. You know, I don't know exactly how this movie was financed. I don't know if Lionsgate just did it as a negative pickup, meaning that they purchased the film after it was done, that it was financed by other people and uh, I'm just going to be lazy and not look it up. But, you know, there's a reason that this film did not make it into theaters. and Or if it did play in theaters, it played in 20 theaters or 100 theaters, didn't make much money, and it's because it doesn't quite... Go through the motions of being an actual romantic comedy. It's just way too content to make fun of them. And that's why you're left with an 83 minute running time. It's because there's just not enough there to even drag its ass over the 90 minute line. It gets boring. There's no momentum, there's no engine, and you need to go through the motions. This film refuses to do it. I'll talk real quickly about two Netflix series that I've been watching, one of which is Daredevil. I finished Daredevil season one, I will not be back for season two. Um, There's a couple things that surprised me about this show, but the thing that surprised me most was the lack of surprises i'm not a comic book guy i don't know pretty much anything about daredevil other than ben affleck made a movie uh about him and you know i'm sure that the show is very good for what it is but i need a little bit more than that uh and this show didn't deliver because daredevil was just boring he's a wet blanket uh, I actually like the actor who who stars as Daredevil um, and enjoyed him in an amazing movie called Stardust, which was the sort of breakout film for Matthew Vaughn. Uh, I mean, some people would say Layer Cake was was the breakout film, but Stardust is the film that showed that he could compete sort of with the Spielbergs and J.J. Abrams, you know, on that level, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a huge Matthew Vaughn fan. You know that I love Kick-Ass. You know that I loved Kingsman, The Secret Service. Stardust was his first big studio film. It was not incredibly successful, but the reviews were wonderful. It's a great fantasy adventure film. So anyway, I like this actor, but uh, the the scripts for the show don't quite work because Daredevil is boring. And he's mopey. He's not a fun guy to be around. And then they have the comic relief character of his friend. Uh, And, uh, you know, the problem with Foggy, his friend, is that he's just not that funny. You can't be the comic relief and not be funny. I have no objection to the actor. I'm sure he's doing the best that he can with the material, but the character just is not that amusing. I also was really unprepared for the amount of male crying that would happen uh, in a TV series. I've never seen that much of it. I don't have an objection to it. Uh, There's just a lot of dudes having uh, feelings talks. Um, and I, I like that term. It's something that I've, I've heard from some youngins that I've interacted with, where it's like, well, he was kind of upset that I called, you know, his ex-girlfriend or whatever. So we had to have a feelings talk. Um, there's a lot of feelings talk happening on, uh, Daredevil. And, uh, really the only reason that I continued watching was that I love Vincent D'Onofrio. I find it fascinating just to watch Vincent D'Onofrio acting. He's as good of an actor as we have, um... I watched all of Law & Order: Criminal Intent just because Vincent D'Onofrio is just a fascinating, fascinating actor, and I really like the villain character that they wrote. However, I will not continue watching it. I got through the whole series. I got a little bit bored also with the fight scenes. There is a terrific fight scene, and I forget which episode it's in, but if you just Google Daredevil Best Fight Scene... The first thing that pops up is this single shot in Daredevil is the best fight scene in years. It is. It's like a two-minute shot. It's a really cool tracking shot that follows Daredevil as he moves from room to room to room in this underground lair, basically just kicking a lot of people's asses. The, The problem with this show, though, is that the fight scenes are beautifully choreographed. There's very little screenwriting in them. there's very little sort of cause and effect problem solving. Uh, it's just okay, here's this episode's fight scene and it reminded me a lot. I'm almost certain that they brought in some of the people who did the raid or at least they looked at the uh, the fight scenes in the movie the raid in both of the Raid movies and sort of base their fighting on that. It's really well done, but I had the same problem with the Raid, where I couldn't get into those movies because, to me, there just wasn't any writing behind it. Um, It was just really terrific choreography by the world's top stunt people. So Daredevil was kind of a washout for me. I watched the whole season, though, uh, and Grace and Frankie is the other Netflix show I have been watching. Here's the problem with Grace and Frankie— uh, the the show has a really terrific premise which is that you know two older women played by Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin find out that their husbands are leaving them for each other uh, their husbands were law partners for the last 30 years and have been having an affair for the last 20 years and are now leaving their wives to be together and to get married. Um, It's a terrific premise. But as soon as I saw that the show was announced and that it was going to be a comedy, or at least that it was going to be a half hour, there was something off about the casting. And that's that they had Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston as the husbands. And as soon as I saw that, that these were series regulars, I was like, wow, those are really heavy hitters. Um, it just didn't feel right to me because I was like, "How? how is that possible? How much focus are we going to put on these husbands? The premise is that these guys are withdrawing from Grace and Frankie's lives and that Grace and Frankie, who are opposites, who might be considered enemies or at least adversaries or at least have an adversarial relationship, are now put together in this really ugly situation and have to figure out how their lives work. And how do you cast titans like Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston in that show? Because they shouldn't be around that much. And that's the problem with Grace and Frankie. It's that it spends way too much time on the supporting cast. And if following the ex husbands storyline isn't already too much, it gives Both of them, kids, it gives Grace and Frankie kids, and they all have their own storylines. And good God, do we not need to see those. There's nothing funny that ever happens on that show outside of what's going on between Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, who are absolutely magical when they're on screen, which is not nearly enough at the time. And I had some issues with this, because I kept trying to figure out, what is this show? And eventually I figured out that the writers um, didn't quite know what this show was either. Um, But what I figured out was that the reason that this show... Doesn't quite work yet. And I'm pretty sure it's going to come back for season two. I think that they'll probably get their shit together and, uh, you know, sort of approach season two differently. Um, And you see that over the course of the series, they start allowing the supporting cast to fade away, which is good because it's only a 25-minute show or a 26-minute show. It doesn't have time to deal with the supporting cast. And I thought about that because I was like, well, there are shows like Weeds that are also – Uh, basically functionally dramas with a lot of funny moments and a lot of comedy and humor. Um, But the thing about Weeds was that there was one hero at the center. Grace and Frankie has two. So you're already losing a lot of time to deal with the supporting cast because you have two different characters, each dealing with their own stuff. And that's the other problem with Grace and Frankie, is that they don't really put the two women together, give them a single problem, and then examine how they specifically, through their own quirks of personality, through their own experiences, choose to deal with this problem, and how they negotiate each other and the problem they have been given. You know, Essentially, you have Grace and Frankie basically sharing a house and then going off for their own little storylines on each episode. And that's really problematic only because you don't have time to do that and explore what their ex-husbands are up to and explore what their four kids in between them uh, are up to. It's too much. And the result is sort of something that often feels a little bit half-baked. I think that they've probably figured that out. I think that season two is probably going to be very worthwhile. And, you know, there is something about the show's laid-back quality that seems to be working for the older audience. Uh, you know, TV has become very, very kinetic. It moves really quickly, and especially a lot of the cable stuff. It's just it's twisty, it's sharp, and, you know, older audiences who... Used to watch shows like Dallas and Knott's Landing and Dynasty and whatever, you know, those shows just moved a lot slower. Um, so maybe that's, you know, in the plus column, you know, Grace and Frankie is not a show that's created for somebody like me. Uh, I was able to watch it. I definitely recommend watching the pilot. The pilot is very funny. Um, and you know, see how far into it you get. It gets better over time. I also think it's very, very interesting that, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about how aging works in, in cinema. And it's very interesting, and I think uh, a a positive step forward that, you know, you have Jane Fonda playing a character who admits, at least on the show, to being 70. I believe in real life she's 77 uh and they are teaming her you know as you watch her character dating and getting out into the world and trying to navigate the idea of online dating they're pairing her with dudes who are in their late 50s early 60s she's going on dates with brian benben who you might remember from dream on and craig t nelson from poltergeist uh you know, guys who are several years younger than her. And, you know, if she was a man, uh, the women would probably be 20 years younger. So good for her and good for sort of the show's creators to recognize that there has been such an amazing double standard in cinema. Spoken most eloquently this week by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's a terrific actress, and was told by a producer that she's too old to play the girlfriend or wife of a 55-year-old man. She is thirty-seven. Undoubtedly, this story is true. Um, undoubtedly, she's had that experience, and you know it. It's nice to see that the shoe is on the other foot, at least in this one limited instance. Last thing I'll talk about real quickly is Mad Max. Good God, is Mad Max incredible! It is a definite must see. And, uh, I saw it this weekend. I saw it in 3d. I kind of wish I hadn't. It ended up being a little bit darker than I would have liked. And even though they have some cool 3d effects, it is absolutely not worth it. I, wish I had seen it in 2D. I read that it's much brighter, um, and that would really benefit this film. The coolest thing about Mad Max Fury Road is that it's basically a silent film. It is all action. There's some very perfunctory dialogue that goes on, but it is incredibly limited. In any case, uh, so George Miller directed this film, Uh, He wrote it, and you know, it's not the kind of thing that a new screenwriter could write. I don't even think an experienced screenwriter could come up with something like this. A film like this could only come from a veteran filmmaker with both the experience of shooting real things as well as a long history of doing a lot of digital stuff, and figuring out exactly how you're going to marry those two things together. Um, There's very little screenwriting. It all is sort of just a almost continuous action scene. And let me give you an example of how little dialogue there is. At one point, Charlize Theron asks Mad Max, she says, What's your name? And he refuses to answer. I think he says, Does it matter? That's it. That, that, like that's that's the conversation. Later on he asks why are you doing this? And she replies redemption. That's it. That's that's all you get. That's backstory in the universe of this movie. I, I hope in future films they talk a little bit more. It is gripping. It's fun. It's exciting. It is spectacular to look at. And it, what's so cool about it is often films that have long gestation periods, as this one did can kind of end up a little bit overbaked. There's a little bit too much concept art that's been created often. And I've been involved uh, with some projects like that where I've seen it's like, wow, there's just way too much stuff that's been created for this project. And, you know, the script sort of takes a backseat to it. In the case of Mad Max, the universe of it is already so over the top that it actually benefits from the craziness It's one of the most insane films I've ever seen. The production design, good God, is it amazing. It's just terrific to look at. It's the kind of film that you could put up at a bar, just keeping the volume off and, you know, keep everybody entertained. So, anyway. Long story short, go see Mad Max. Check out the pilot of Grace and Frankie. Daredevil, you're on your own, but I would definitely just look at the Daredevil best fight scene. The first thing that pops up is a YouTube clip. It's one minute and 54 seconds long. Really amazing stuff. Okay, you can buy my book, The Starter Screenplay, at Amazon.com. Download it for Kindle or buy a print copy. Please consider hiring me for a concept consultation. I really enjoy doing those. They run one hour to sometimes 90 minutes. It's, you know I, I don't really uh watch the clock on them and i really like being able to help writers first i like helping them figure out of all the ideas they've been working on which are the ones they should be focused on and then helping writers formulating the questions that they need to answer before they jump into writing a script you can also hire me to read your screenplay go to officialscreenwriting.com where you can hire me for a consultation i'm adam livingberg thanks for listening